Hello. Uh, You know that family businesses are the backbone of this country's economy and they make up virtually all of the sales and service outlets in the agriturf machinery sector. There are no publicly funded groups, no franchise operations and even those multi-branch dealerships are still family businesses. For most families, they are a way of life, but they have no real safety net should things go wrong. And most devolve over time, each generation adding to the spirit and vision of their fathers and forefathers. They mix high days with setbacks, family fallouts and often with sudden loss. And yet, such is their passion, such is their determination that they often bounce back with renewed enthusiasm. As we shall hear from today's episode. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is episode 37 of Inside AgriTurf. Today I'm talking with Hal Jenkins and his son Emir, known to most as Ems, from Jenkins Guard Machinery in South Wales. A classic family dealership with unusual roots, as you will hear. Started back in the early 1990s by Howell and his wife Glynis, they had two sons, Gareth and Emir, both of whom they hoped would come into the business in time. After some years of success, the business hit problems in 2010 following the financial meltdown, but was reformed. Then Howell was diagnosed with leukaemia, which removed him for the business for some long while. Worse was to follow when both Glynis and Gareth were diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and both passed away within the past two years. That would have knocked the stuffing out of most family businesses, but today business is flourishing and they have just produced and aired a successful TV commercial. So how Lems, it's, it's great to catch up with you both. And first, uh, how, how important is it to have your name above the door? Uh, the point is, Jenkins Guard Machinery obviously implies the company is owned by Jenkins. Yes. We very much build the company up on our family, as we've done when we started, you know, 30-odd years ago, when Glynis started the business. Yes. Um, so we obviously, they know the Jenkinses, people come to Jenkins, as opposed to Crossan's Lawnmower Centre, for example, yes. which it could be quite easily, you know. So that it is important for us, very, very important. Yeah. So, so can we sort of backtrack those 30-odd years and uh, how? Uh, where did it all start? Uh, where, where where did you jump into the business and so on? Right. Well, we can go right back. In 1986, Glynis bought, um, Glynis, my wife, bought a knitting machine. She enjoyed it. Couldn't get uh, wool and accessories for the knitting machine. Very, very poor service in Wales. So we set up a machine knitting um, centre. Uh, a, a sewing a, machine, a sewing machine centre was that? Knitting, no, no, knitting machine centre. Oh, a knitting, okay. A knitting machine centre. It developed then into a craft centre and into a sewing centre as well. So we did all sorts of crafts and arts and that type of thing. Um, I was working at the time for a company called Western Farm Implements in Gowerton. They were quite well known. They were in South Wales and in the Midlands. And I was there for a few years. But as the business grew, it was growing and growing. And Dinnis was finding it harder to cope on her own. So I left the Western Farms and joined her. 
But then two pieces of luck happened in 1989. Uh, Westerfars closed down and, it, and uh, Haynes got a machinery cross hands closed down. So the position here was that two local companies closed down. I thought, I said, listen, we got to try and open this up because we had the expertise. Those people in Westerfars were unemployed. So I went down, had a chat with the, my previous bosses and asked if I could buy the horticultural side which they, well, in fact, they were eager to do it, in fairness to them, because they were quite eager for them, for the continuation of employment for their staff. And and I took two of the staff on. We started um, then uh, Garams, and Garams is um, is made up, the name is made up of Gareth and Emir, um, our two sons. Yeah. And then yeah. It, it developed from there, really. Okay. Now, I think um, we've got to, uh, I think, cover this. I mean, all family businesses, as, as you well, only to know, only too well, uh, experience their good days uh, mixed with uh, setbacks and fallouts and, uh, and sadly, family losses. And um, y- you lost Glynis um, and then your other son, Gareth, uh, within the last two years. Um, is that right? And, and, and how did you cope and what impact did it have on you? The problem was Gareth was diagnosed uh, with pancreatic cancer. He was the first to be diagnosed on um, June in 2018. And he he fought it well for two years, three months, and then suddenly passed away in September last year. Now, Glynis also had pancreatic cancer. Now, she, it was much, much more rapid with Glynis. She fell in in around about May, June, 2019, uh, diagnosed in early August with pancreatic cancer, the same as Gareth, and she sadly passed away in October 19. It was extremely difficult because um, because Gareth was ill, Glynis was caring for him, but of course, once she went ill, uh, I was more or less caring for both of them with a lot of help from Emir. i got to be honest, a big impact on the business because, well, I wasn't there for... Um, well, for a long time. And of course, with my previous illness with leukemia, I wasn't in the business much from 2016 until recently, really. So when I rejoined with Emir, you know, I'm back up four and we talked about the business, but um, I've been out of the business quite a long time, really. Uh, Did you have to replace your activity? Did you have to take on new staff or something? No, Emir coped very well. When Glynis was ill, she did the accounts. And we fell on our feet, really. Um, a customer came in who moved out from London. And um, he said, oh, he said, I, I can't do anything with these machines. He said, I don't know anything he said. But if you showed me a set of books, I would tell you immediately there's a problem. And Emil said, funny you should say that. <laughs> and he said, well, have we got a problem? And Emil said, yes. And this chap, I tell you one thing, he was marvellous. He really helped us. And he's a very, very good accountant. And he works for Peanuts. To be yes. honest with you, he's wonderful. He's a well, he's a friend now, and he's a, he's an employee. He's a very very good accountant, and that's all he wants is some machine serviced. And basically, he works for minimum wage. It is ridiculous. This man's skill, but he doesn't want it. He, he just he, he's a friend more than an employee. But we were very very lucky to uh, fall on our feet with him. Really, um, Emir, uh, when did you join the business? Well, I started when I was 15 as a Saturday boy in Garems, doing everything other than what I wanted to do. So I, I joined in when I was 15 and I wanted to start selling machines straight away. Um, and dad, being the uh, 
character here has made me work in every single department other than sales first. So I had to sell wool and I had to sell arts and crafts, I had to cut material, work in the stores. And eventually, um, when I was about 16 or 17, I got uh, the chance to start selling machines. Um, I think proving myself when I was 16, selling my first ride on mower, I think dad was happy to, uh, to, to let me start selling machines then. Some of the talk amongst dealers, because it's a seasonal business, although less seasonal than it probably ever was, with the range of equipment that you can sell, uh, do talk about diversification. Now, you had a very uh, stark diversification between arts and crafts and wool and, and garden machinery. What's your thoughts a few years on from that? D- does diversification, can you run two separate businesses together or is it better to concentrate on one one area? I think you definitely can run two businesses together. It it all depends on what the passion is. So at the time, my mother's passion was arts and crafts and dad's passion was garden machinery. So I think both of them were very capable of running very successful businesses. So we we sort of, although it was one business, it was very much a two separate businesses within one in that respect, you know, because mom didn't have much to do with the garden machinery side from a sales point of view. Dad probably had more to do with the arts and crafts side. But I think it all down to the people at the end of the day. If you've, if you've got passionate people in the business, then it's going to be successful. And if it, if you haven't, then, you know, you, you've got to have a lot of luck in order for it to be successful. Uh, and I seem to remember you added a coffee shop as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, was there much mix of customers between the arts and crafts side and the garden machinery side? Yeah, well, what, what the, the beauty of it was is that what, once we added the coffee shop in, it became a destination. So people, what you generally found, without without trying to sound like I'm I'm putting people's genders into specific roles, what you basically had was you'd get a married couple who would turn up for the day. The husband would look around the garden centre and the and the lawnmowers. The wife would look around the arts and crafts and the materials and and various other things. They'd have lunch uh, in the coffee shop and then they'd go home. Or they'd come and have lunch and, and do the browsing after. So you, generally speaking, it became somewhere that people could go for more than a couple of an hour or two. You know, it was like a sort of a, a small department store within a, within the building, really, in that respect. Again, I think what, what was it? Two thousand and ten. You had to sort of reimagine the business um, because of the financial crash at the time and and, and possibly the weather and um and and out of that was was born jenkins garden machinery wasn't it yeah that's right so the the um we we were actually in the middle of expanding garden and the bank pulled the funding in 2010 um garden's closed and then we restarted with jenkins garden machinery so how is the focus of the business now that uh, compared with what it was in 2010 when you started, is it, is it generally the same or are you changing uh, your customer profile and so on? Oh, it's changed immensely since 2010. Changed an awful lot since uh, 2010. And we were selling smaller machines, things like small, cheaper lawnmowers. That market in as far as we're concerned, is no longer for us um, because battery products have come along. And, um, you know, we re- we are a service industry. So, you know, the reality is who is going to service a machine if it's under £400? Yeah. They, they might repair it, but they won't service it. You know? No. So we've got to go to, you know, we've got a good workshop. You've got three good fitters. How would you quantify or describe your customer profile? Uh, uh, is it more the commercial high-end consumer these days? 
for us it is because um, we obviously because we do larger machines, we deal and larger machines um, come with larger lawns and houses with larger lawns tend to come with professional people. You know, we got a lot of doctors, solicitors, barristers, uh, accountants, but we also got um, we've also got you know people who are not in that bracket. In West Wales, some small houses have got big gardens. You know, because we're very rural where we are. Yes. So you know, we don't we don't we don't exclusively do those, but that's where our target is. You know, and professional, obviously, because we are moving towards that end of the market now. And I guess, like every single dealer, you get customers come in who don't fit your profile, shall we say? They've maybe bought a machine elsewhere and want you to fix it because you have got guard machinery specialist above the door. How do you deal with those? It's quite simple, really. We take a 40 pound booking in deposit and that seems to filter out the, <laughs> the wheat from the jar. Um, when, when, we, when, we, um, when we book any job in for repair, um, we always take a booking in deposit, which comes off the job. Um, when we explain this to the customer, we get them to read the terms and conditions. And what you'll find is that that generally filters out the the guy who comes in and says, um, oh, my Ryobi is broken down. Can you Could you have a quick look at it? Or, um, you know, I bought this online. That That's the biggest sort of uh, thing that we've implemented into the business um, that, that's really helped us focus on customers who want to deal with us, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and 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 what about if if customers have bought uh, something somewhere else and ask you to repair it under what they regard as warranty, often not warranty? How do you deal with them? We um, we book it in with a forty pound booking in deposit. Um, we do it as a retail job. We charge the customer, and then that customer is entitled to try and get that money back from whatever they want to try. But we we won't do third-party warranties. To be fair, our workshop's too busy. We've got 183 jobs on the system at the moment, so we, we just can't... We, we wouldn't be able to entertain doing it. If, if we were to start doing that, the, the priority would be low, and then, the, the, you know, it would be six months before we entertained having a look at it and, and that's not acceptable to, to, to people and um the, the staff you got i mean that's your policy and how you deal with customers um and they're, they're they buy into that approach and they're, they're quite and you train them and that's the way you want to do business yeah and the reason they buy into it is because it's not a case of penalizing the customers who don't buy with us it's a case of rewarding and giving a better service to the customers who do buy from us yeah. Because if, if I if I do every job that comes into the workshop at the cost of a service to somebody who spends thousands of pounds of this a year, it's totally unacceptable. And we yeah. we we if you look at our Google reviews, we've got high um we got four point nine out of five on our Google reviews at the moment. And the reason for that, we genuinely feel the reason for that is our after sales service. As for the machines that you sell, uh, if you look back again uh, to, to, to 2010, look back 10 years, um, how does your profile of the franchises that you hold differ now from that that you held then? And, and, and also, supplementarily, what, what do you look for in a supplier? I mean, do you look for a partnership, somebody who understands your business as well as you know it yourself? Yes, well, we look for people who can give us backup. As long as the uh, spares uh, backup is right for us, because we repair the machines, they go to supply the spares. We don't change franchises often. Um, but what is very, very nice now is that, well, in fact, we had one uh, on uh, Tuesday. What's very, very nice is that um, someone came looking for us. They said, would you like to take these on, you know? Yes. And we've, got a, we've had quite a few with the last two years. 
Ezekiel was one of them. We had a chat with Ezekiel and we were delighted when they said, you know, we, they would like us as a business partner. Because it is, um, you know, it's probably, if not the best, it's one of the very, of, of the top three large machines that we would sell. As long as their service is right, we can cope. We have had a fallout with one or two, but we don't change franchises often. We, we the odd one, but uh, we might add another one or... But very, we're quite satisfied with what we've got now. Very satisfied. Well, that, that's, that, that's good. And you do look on it as a partnership as much as a pure business relationship between you and the, and the supplier. Yes. Well, there, there are, there are uh, the, the manufacturers are, some are more flexible than others. Some you can talk <laughs> to and say, listen, what do we do this? Oh, that's a good idea. Let's try that, you know. Uh, others, uh, this is, is our way or no way. Mm. The problem we've got is, obviously, if you've sold a machine for 10 years or 15 years, you need that spares backup to support your customers. So what we do, um, if someone isn't working the way we like to work with, we gently edge them out. But, you know, what we do is buy less and less and less every year until after a few years, well, you know, it doesn't matter after that, you know. Um, if we if we did the old, old thing of a, a SWOT analysis of your company then, and look at the, 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 the strengths and the weaknesses and the opportunities and the threats, um, how would you summarize the strengths of Jenkins and also possibly its weaknesses? Our strengths are, I think, it's a family business, as you said, Chris. Uh, also, we care for people, you know, and we make sure they know we care for them. We repaired a machine for a chap the other day. Uh, he had it back. He said the belts come off. We took it back in. Uh, we tried it 30 times. Couldn't get the belt to come off. Took it back. Within half an hour, the belts come off. And Emir said, hang on here. He said, let's talk through this. And we talked through it. And anyway, the, the problem was he was going into the grass at half revs. Once we told him what to do, he ran back in there. We're delighted. That's a nice little story. But the point of the story is he put a review on Google Reviews. But what he said was, it's almost a pleasure to have a machine break down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I could deal with Jake kids. Um, you've outlined some of the opportunities that are open to you, particularly in the commercial field. Um, what, what do you see uh, as any threats to your business? Is it things that you can't control, like the weather, obviously? The positive side to that is it's the same threat for everybody then, of course. So, yes. you know, when whenever we look at this type of thing, it's it's where the threats become a competitive advantage to somebody else. Yes. So, you know, for example, the internet is a, is a threat because you're in a situation where somebody can rapidly expand their market. The one threat which was uh, a, um, a biggie a few years ago, which seems to have um, fallen by the wayside now, is the sheds, of course. So, mm. you know, B&Q and Homebase and all that type of... Uh, that type of um, outlet used to be a, a a huge problem it doesn't seem to be that big a problem anymore no um, you know we don't get people coming in saying oh bnk were doing this or screw fix are doing that you know it seems to be that people are doing their research a bit more now uh, th- that's a point i mean the internet has got I- its its threats obviously but do you find that customers are better informed when they come in because obviously many of them don't buy a mower all that often but do you find that they have done their research and probably it saves you a little bit of time in, in explaining the nuts and bolts of everything more do uh, certainly more people do know what they want and they have researched it and a lot of people still haven't but um <laughs> You know, 10 years ago, nobody researched it. Just come in and ask you what they should have, really. 
But yes, there is more research. People are always interested in Google. They look at reviews. And that's what we always tell them. If they walk, say they come in now and they want to buy a machine and they haven't bought there and then. Look, but have a look at our Google reviews. See what people say about us. And remember, when you buy this machine, the minute you buy it, you get the whip hand because you part with your money. Yeah. For the next 10 years, whoever you bought it off has got the whip hand. Once you part with your money, you're totally dependent on the support of that company. Very often, they then go to the car and come back in quarter later and buy the machine. The other thing I would say about people doing their research is that it, it can be, it sometimes can be a bit of a dangerous thing because, you know, a little, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing often. Yes. Um, so, they, so they will, they will sometimes come in with a view of what machine is suitable for them. But actually, it's... it's totally I, I hear that a lot. Yeah. Uh, people have got to unsell their, uh, yeah. their, their, their knowledge, if you like, that they Absolutely. have gained online. And of course, you've got, you're often in a position where somebody comes in and they say, I've got three acres to cut. And then when you've, when you've narrowed it down to the machine they need, they say, well, I'm not spending, I'm not spending six, eight, ten grand on a machine. I, I'm only willing to spend £2,000. You've got to ask yourself the question, well, there's one of two things happening here. Either they are just tight or, or they have, <laughs> potentially they haven't got three acres. And often when you do a site visit then, they've got yeah. nowhere near. We, we had a situation where a chap, chap bought a Westwood the other day. Well, we did a site visit afterwards. You know, so he bought the Westwood, no problem at all, based on what he said. When we did the site visit, he had less than half of what he was describing. To well under half. So, you know, he ended up having a, a conventional collecting tractor. That's another strength, I suppose, when you look at the SWOT analysis, is that we're willing to come out and do sort of no-obligation site visits and... and that that gives confidence to the customer. Ems, you you um you you studied at the university, and I believe you did a marketing degree. When uh, when you would have started, we only need to go back fifteen twenty years, and uh, most of the marketing was done in local papers and maybe uh, leaflet drops or whatever, uh, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. But today we're in a totally different area uh, with digital marketing. Um, how have things changed? Oh, um <laughs> more in the last five, 10 years than in the 40, 50 years prior, I would say. Um, not, not that I've ever experienced the 40, 50 years prior, of course. But um, <laughs> um, when I went to university, um, in my final year, they'd introduced a new module called digital marketing. So it hadn't it hadn't been on the radar um, until my final year. And it was all about um, emails. It was all about taking what we currently do with standard marketing and how to implement that into some sort of digital format. So mail shots became email shots and things like that. You know, people hadn't really switched on to the 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 marketing side of websites. You know, like um, Google Ads and things like that were non-existent. So it's changed massively. Um, social media has become such a strong platform, not just for us, but for many businesses. Things like Twitter and, and Facebook and LinkedIn and things like that do is that it levels the playing field um, when it comes to the size of your business. So if you've got a small business, you've got an opportunity to, to make yourself known to a much bigger market. It, it doesn't mean you've got buying power. It doesn't mean you've got loads no. more money, nothing like that, you know, but at least you've got the chance to let people know you're there. Does it also allow you to express your personality as well as, as a company? I, I think so. I think so. Because we, we took on Paul as our general manager in uh, October of last year. Part of the reason being that I'm going on the road to develop more of the commercial sales. And one of his big strengths really is is how much he's been able to do on social media and that type of thing. 
advertising was always very formal i felt you know uh, it had to be very professional and your your newspaper adverts were always you know facts and figures and 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 that type of thing whereas with facebook now you you can be a lot more i don't know playful when it comes to the the posts and uh, and um you know uh, be a bit more fun and engaging with the customer you know and and you've just recently gone into a new area altogether tv commercial uh, which which featured uh, nigel owens the uh, recently retired i think um, international rugby referee and and a well-known face a media face now um how did that come about uh, he's a customer was anyway. He's a thoroughly nice man. I suggested him when we have a meeting every fortnight, um, every Monday morning, every second Monday. And I said, why do we go on television? Oh, I've crossed the fortune. No, you know, we won't get the return. And yeah, all the things that uh, were four people three with me said, well, let's have a chat with it. So we had a chat with a company, two, two companies about producing a television advert. And um, I spoke to Nigel. I've got to be honest, he was very fair to us. I, I can't divulge how much he's No, had, no, of course not. But he was very, very fair to us. He's a customer of ours. He's likeable. He's also done a lot to help. He's done a lot of things on a sort of personal level, to be honest with you. But he was no trouble at all. He was with us for a day. It seems a heck of a long time, a day to um, record a 30 second advert. <laughs> I would say it was a good decision. I would say that now. Yeah. And and how's it been received? What sort of feedback have you got? And and, and can you measure it to, uh, at all? Its effectiveness. The only two things you can measure: foot, footfall and sales. And they both gone up significantly since the adverts came on. Have is they? there any more? And also Facebook. I've got to be honest. Facebook is a very very cheap form of advertising. We but it's so targeted as well because when we go on Facebook, um, we only target people over thirty five years of age. And then we put the radius from our shop. If it's a small promotion, we put 20 miles. Um, if it's doing a Ziki or a big Westwood or something like that, we go 40 miles. We put a radius of 40 miles from our location. Sorry, I'll just mention one thing about the TV advert. Uh, when we when we signed up, um, we, we were able to target um, the market very, very specifically. Sky, yeah. So we were on Sky and we were on S4C. But with the Sky, Sky marketing... Um, we were able to target down to things like named houses as opposed to numbered houses, um, demographics, geographical area. Size um, of lawn. Yeah, even down to the size of lawn. <laughs> so they, they, they're very, very um, good at what they do. And what was quite encouraging is that about three weeks into the four-week campaign, well, about two and a half weeks into the four-week campaign, um, we'd hit 112% um, of the targeted market. So by just over half the way through, we'd hit more than the uh the, the expected numbers success. and they give you these analytics they give you these figures on a weekly basis so that that's one metric for measuring your 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 impact but of course that's absolutely irrelevant unless the till starts chiming so it's you know that you've yeah. got to have the two hand in hand you? Uh, absolutely and so if, if if you both look at the future is it more the same? You've also, also you've just alluded to adding new franchises, perhaps to, to, to go into new areas. But is it is it just building on what you've achieved over the last few years? Well, it is, but also we do online sales. Now then, we but the, the, there is a difference. We will only sell online to where we can deliver. Yes, if we're not prepared to deliver that machine. It's out of our area. So what we've got now, we've got a website. And we got a website which covers the UK, obviously. But if you were to buy a machine uh, and you're in North Wales, it won't it won't accept the order, you know, no. because we, we have to tell, look, you're better off to go to a local dealer. And if it's 
broadly in the uh, CF or SA area, we will deliver not right to the far of West Wales or more to the point, the north of Cardigan, because it takes so long to get there. So basically what we put on our website, if we can deliver it within an hour, if it's an hour's travel, we will deliver it to that, to, uh, built up to that person. But but you're uh, pre- prepared to turn down orders, should it be outside that area? Yes, uh, yes, it will turn, it'll, it'll, we can go, like, we are SA146RB, we can go down as far as SA14 or SA15 or that. So we will we will only sell where we can support that machine. Yeah, because we 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 firmly believe in the access support, um, like we mentioned before. So the Google reviews are very very important to us. So if we if we're not able to, we we can't support a machine that we sell in Bristol, for example. No, it's impossible. So if that did transpire, the, the um, basically, the, the the website won't allow somebody to buy it. It's quite plain on there. But if some if it transpired that something slipped through the net, I suppose we would either just refund that straight away, or probably what we'd be more likely to do is contact the local dealer in that area and say, "Look, do you want this sale? Um, give them the profit, less I suppose the cost of the. We haven't discussed this, by the way, but uh, <laughs> less the cost of the of the of the actual transaction. Don't worry, I won't tell anybody. <laughs> no, but if, but you, you can't. The point is, Jesus. You can't preach one thing and do something no, else. Exactly. Now, there is a company now in the Midlands who shall remain nameless. Um, they are undercutting um, uh, certain, certain product. Well, I tell you, it's an echo product. They, they're, um, they're undercutting it to a ridiculous degree. So I rang up one day and I said, well, I, I was a customer. I said, what, um, what happens if it breaks down? So I said, well, you could return it to us. I said, at whose cost? You know, will I have to pay? Oh, yeah, well, you know, and they were very vague about that. But the next sentence is a beauty. You can take it to your local dealer, and he will be pleased to look at it. <laughs> so after he said that, I said, well, let me tell you who I am. I said, I am the local dealer, and I will not be pleased to see it. <laughs> because what will happen is, I'll be telling them, for you to collect it and take it to do it and do the repair, or I'll be charging them, and then you could refund them. That didn't go down very well. No. But the, the point is, it's ridiculous. You know, selling a product, making less than 35, a 500% product, making less than 8% on it, delivering it, not built up, is, is crazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, we, so that's why our policy is, if we can't repair it, we don't want to sell it, really. That's what it boils down to. But family businesses are all about generations, and 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 I guess each generation learns from e- each other. Uh, Ems, uh, what did you learn from your dad, from Howell, uh, about the business and about business approach? I think is it an ethos? You know, it is. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. If if you if you take me as a sixteen year old and me as a thirty six year old, it, it's it's very very different. I came into the business very very green, uh, even after university. Things like you know. The customer's always right, you know that, that that's a classic example. Well, that was not always right, and and it's and it's not it's not a case of us versus them. But when you've got a customer who comes in demanding warranty when they've walked a blade, it's it you've got to be in a position where you can explain to that customer why they are not right. So I think a lot of the a lot of what Dad's taught me over the last twenty years, I suppose, is really to have a backbone. And I yeah. think, you know, had he not done that, I think during his illness and his leukemia, we probably would have failed. Because before, when I was younger, I think my tendency was to just try and please the customer at all costs, you know. And 
you can only try and please a customer to a certain cost. And, you know, it, it gets to a point where you're doing so much for that customer that actually you're losing money hand over fist. Yeah. Um, enter, entering into dialogue with the customer is another thing he's taught me. So um, we always, the reason we take a 40 pound booking in deposit, for example, is that we can try and give as accurate a price as we can on a job. Um, things like when you sell a machine, try and run through every sort of element of what's going to happen with that machine in its life. So rather than them buy it and think, oh, well, I'll service it at once every five years for £100. It doesn't work like that. Transparency is probably how I would say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and how, um, now, looking back, uh, and you've been in the business a long time, what are you learning from EMS that uh, you, you're surprised at or you didn't know before or you're very pleased at? Well, I've got a lot to thank Gems for, um, to be honest with you. Uh, he's made me a dealer principal now, which, of course, is a title but no job. <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, no, I've learned a lot of Ems. Um It's like this. The dinosaurs died out because they couldn't adapt. Yeah. And I suppose at 67, I'm the dinosaur, and it comes to a point where We've got to change, you know. And if you're, you know, because you've done certain things a certain way, if it, it, it might have been right 30 years ago, but it's not right anymore. And then it brings new ideas, you know, a new focus into the business. And uh, it, it was his idea now to limit the sales to where we can um, service them, you know. Well, quite right. I, I agree with him. But, uh, you know, it's, it's time that he, he's taken over the reins. He's a managing director now anyway. And that's the way it's got to be. You know, you progress. And um, because if you're old, you think, well, the way I did it is always right. But it's not always right. That's the point. No, no, absolutely. And if you've, if you've got, I don't know whether you've got personal mottos or a motto that you apply or a saying that you apply to the business, what would it be? Is there, is there something that you, you have above the, the loo door that uh, inspires you every day? Right. I'll answer this one because this is the way this sentence starts. It doesn't matter where you buy your machine until. And after that, then, you can put anything behind. The day it breaks down, the day it needs a service, the day it needs a part, the day you realize you bought the wrong machine, the day you didn't seek advice, and you can put anything, tag that anything onto that. In fact, we are in the process of doing that very thing in our showroom now. We are going to put a massive, it doesn't matter where, on top of one of the walls, and then add, add these uh, ends to all it. Because it's surprising. We did that in Garrams many years ago. It's surprising how people looked at it and said, yeah, quite right. <laughs> yes. you know? and that, that, so that's the start of it, and then finish it whichever way is apt to that particular customer. Uh, and Ems, I, I guess you concur with that. Is there anything that, that, that you, your motto that drives you? I think the same, really. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, um, as Dad says, that's probably one of the things I've learned from it is that, you know, exactly what he's just said there. Educating the customer to, uh, getting the customer to think through these things before they make their purchase is probably the most important thing we can do. Yeah, uh, Excellent. Well, look, um, to both of you, very many thanks, um, Howell and, uh, and Emmy, for your, for your time today. And, and to whom we must add, uh, the names of Glynis and Gareth, of course, uh, because they are very integral to the family business. And as we've learned today, uh, it's the slings and arrows of a family business. It's um, it's never planable. You live by the seat of your pants quite often. And uh, I think probably nothing could be more true in, in your case. So thank you both very much for your time. And, and I hope that we meet up in person before too long. 
Well, thank you, Chris. It's been very, it's been lovely to talk to you once again. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ems, and all the best. Bye bye. Bye bye. What a story. Here were two people whose lives have been turned upside down with the recent loss of Howell's wife and son, both previously integral to the business, but who, together, have seemingly got their mojo back. Such circumstances would completely derail many families, but what we had here was, and I don't use this word lightly, a masterclass in understanding what makes a good dealership tick. From Howell teaching Emmy a backbone when it came to dealing with customers to embracing new communications and being totally upfront on their selling and servicing terms with customers. I hope you enjoyed that. I most certainly did. So I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf.